Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Elodie. She's dealing with aches and pains, digestive issues, and complains that her skin and hair just looks lifeless and dull. And overall, she's just not feeling well. Elodie has read a lot about the benefits of alkalizing her body and decided to start drinking alkaline water and taking some baking soda. She's heard so many good things about this that she was expecting to feel better in no time, but instead, she only felt worse and her digestive issues actually flared up even more. She was so confused about this, and that is when she found me. I saw what she was doing, and while from the outside it seemed like she was on the right track, she was not going about this in a way that was healthy and did not make other necessary changes. I knew we had our work cut out for us and felt confident that we can solve this health mystery. Every year, Thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Elodie's struggle and how her pH can be one of those culprits. Joining me on the show today to talk more about Elodie's case is Dr. Russell Jaffe. For the last 30 plus years, Dr. Russell Jaffe has been rethinking healthcare as a physician and scientist who inspired to be comprehensive, objective, empiric, and experiential, Dr. Jaffe started his career searching for a deeper understanding, wisdom, evidence, and insight into mechanisms of health. But through his journey, He came to a stunning realization the Western model of healthcare he studied, trained, and practiced for so long was fundamentally flawed. He learned that symptom suppression is not the same as health prevention. Sick care is not the same as healthcare. And most importantly, he learned that treating disease is not the same as treating people. Dr. Jaffe, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. Thank you. So some people may be aware already that our pH has a lot to do with our health, but I think it's an area like many others in natural health that still brings with it a lot of confusion. So first, can you tell us why does pH play such an important role in health? Well, we know that life exists in a very narrow range, just on the alkaline side of neutral. So if you look at the scale of pH, It goes from 0 to 12, and that's 12 orders of magnitude. 
but a living human being has a principal pH. That means your venous or arterial blood pH, and hopefully your cell pH, will be on the alkaline side. And even tiny changes, I mean like a hundredth or a thousandth of a pH unit change, can have profound positive or negative impacts on your fundamental cellular metabolism and survival. So staying within a healthy pH, which is getting harder and harder to do in the 21st century, is essential for survival. Now, with that, people think, okay, well, we may have heard acidic is not so good, and Nikki mentioned alkaline is better, but tell us about some of the misconceptions about acid-alkaline balance, because there's just so much confusion around it. There is, and part of it is the fact that those of us who are biochemists, and I have a PhD in biochemistry, those of us who are biochemists like to talk about the details and the nuances and the complexity. And most people want to change the subject in a very short period of time because that's not their passion. On the other hand, I can tell you that people are often encouraged to do what I can only describe as silly things. For example, there is a renaissance of people who are taking bicarbonate, either sodium bicarbonate or trisalts or potassium bicarbonate, so that they can alkalinize their body. If you put bicarbonate in your stomach, which should be very acid, you will impair your stomach digestion. And by the way, we have a control system that regulates carbon dioxide and bicarbonate. For those who are technical, it's called the carbonic anhydrase system. But taking bicarbonate is not the way to alkalinize your body. The only way to biologically alkalinize your body, helpfully alkalinize your body, is to take in minerals, particularly magnesium and potassium, in ways that get into your body and are retained by your body. Number two, reduce the metabolic acid production by reducing the toxin exposure, reducing your stress and distress levels, improving your nutritional competence. There are many ways of reducing the net metabolic acid production that determines whether your cells and body are in survival mode or in elective protective mode. And we want you to be in elective protective mode, not in survival mode. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you're saying that, especially about the bicarbonates, because I hear that from clients and just from different people that I speak to a lot. And, you know, I think people, like we mentioned before, may have heard that being alkaline is better, but they don't realize that there's specific ways to do it. And so often people do this, especially with meals. And like you said, you're then depleting your stomach acid, you're hindering your digestion, you can cause more harm than good. Thanks for reinforcing that message. It's a very important message. We want people to be proactive. We want them to do the right thing, but we also don't want them to do something that is against the physiologic basics of biological life. And that's where these bicarbonates are, as, as we've both been saying, a false promise with many potential adverse consequences. Whereas if you get enough of the magnesium and buffering minerals, enough of the alkaline amino acids, enough of the short chain beneficial uh, fats, then 
you can neutralize the metabolic acids and still have enough magnesium to activate your ATP energy molecule. You can still have enough magnesium to keep your mitochondrial battery charged up and working. You can still have enough magnesium to activate the hundreds, maybe thousands of enzyme catalysts that only magnesium can activate. And you have enough magnesium to protect essential fats like omega-3 and omega-6 when they're in transport in your LDL transport fat system, because it turns out magnesium is also an antioxidant to protect fats. So there's many, many beneficial things about magnesium, and yet the availability of magnesium in the American diet has dropped by half in the recent past, and the need for magnesium has more than doubled. So that's a fourfold change for the worse. So today, in addition to eating organic and biodynamic or homegrown foods, we encourage people to have enhanced uptake and chaperone delivery magnesium choline citrate combinations as part of their daily regime based on their morning urine pH after rest. Okay, great. So let's just back up for one second. I'd love to talk more about magnesium and how people can balance that. But before we do that, can you tell us first, how would someone know if their pH is off? Is it something that we would assume or is it something that you recommend testing? Well, if you're living in the 21st century in what we would call the developed or industrial world, the statistical probability is very high. But more importantly, there's a less than a dollar a day self-test. It's called urine pH measurement. And it turns out that after six or more hours of rest, like restorative sleep, after six or more hours of rest, and yes, you can get up and go to the bathroom, but you can't go to the gym or the kitchen. After six or more hours of rest, the fluid in the bladder equilibrates with the cells that line your genitourinary tract. And so you have once a day, only once a day, but at that specific time, first urine after rest, to check whether you have an excess of metabolic acids, which means your pH will be below 6.5 and it will be sandy color on this colored strip, or you're in the 6.5 to 7.5 range, which is green, and that's where you want to be. That's the better goal range. That's the Goldilocks range. And if you're consistently above seven and a half, you could have catabolic illness and are tearing your muscles down, and we want you to reverse that. Okay. Now, if someone is below 6.5, are there specific symptoms that they may notice or symptoms that you see with some of the people that you work with? No, a very good question, because when we talk about this global assessment of body pH, we're talking about global well-being. So the people who come and say, I'm really stressed out and I don't know how to get back to my use stress, resilient, enthusiastic, I'm helpless and hopeless, I want to be helpful and hopeful, I'm fatigued, I don't know why, um, I'm pretty sure I don't have good digestion, but I'm not sure why. I'm probably dehydrated because I don't drink water and I probably drink a, a little too much adult beverages from time to time but I don't know why. And we, over the last decades, have found four self-assessments, the three that I just implied, plus what's called a C-cleanse to check your overall oxidative burden or anti-nutrient intake. And when you start with these four self-assessments and progress to the eight predictive biomarkers, now you have mapped your terrain. Now you have mapped your territory. And now you know where you are resilient and strong, 
and you should celebrate that. But you also know where you're not at your best outcome goal value because we interpret all of these tests to their best outcome goal value, not to some statistical mathematical range. Okay. So what you're saying then is if someone is feeling fatigued and if someone is feeling like they can't get out of a stress state and if they're feeling like maybe they're over consuming certain beverages, but they're not really sure why those could be some of the symptoms. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I'm saying that the people who have this metabolic acidosis, this excess production of acid above their intake and retention of magnesium, that these are the people who are chronically unwell. And it usually takes years before the diagnosis of thyroid or adrenal disorder or the diagnosis of liver or spleen disorder or the diagnosis of a cardiovascular disorder, an immune defense and repair, inflammatory repair deficient disorder, or an autoimmune self-attacking disorder like diabetes. These are the conditions associated with metabolic acidosis. So the longer it goes on, the longer then your cells have time to be damaged, essentially, and then it's going to affect the rest of your organs. Yes. And you're constantly in a state of repair and renewal. And if you keep up with that repair and renewal, you feel young and vital at whatever chronology you are. And for full disclosure, by most laboratory functional tests, I am operating, functioning at half my birth age. That's amazing. And if I can keep that up, if I can keep that up for the next 40, 50 years, which I plan to do, it'll be a good run. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Dr. Jaffe, what about the people who are too alkaline, if their pH is above seven or even above that? What are some of the symptoms associated with that that they may see? Well, that's called catabolic illness. And I first learned about it by from Joseph, J-O-S-E-F, Joseph Fisher, in the New England Journal of Medicine in the late 1970s. And he pointed out that stresses in life and or surgical interventions and procedures in medical uh, environments often leave people in a mode where their battery needs and uses amino acids for energy. And what that means is you start tearing down your lean muscle which you don't want to do. You need your lean muscle. You start tearing down your lean muscle. You produce keto acids that are a backup fuel to keep the battery of the cell operating. But now you have extra ammonia that you pulled off the amino acid to make the keto acid. And that gets ends up in the urine. And now your pH is above 7.5. Mm, yeah. So catabolic illness is a stress-related disorder or an iatrogenic situation. And it's reversible, but you have to be proactive in restoring the neurohormonal immune defense and repair and digestive competencies that have that have been eroded in those people. Yeah. And you mentioned ammonia, and we talk a lot about this on the show. Excess of ammonia can cause so many different symptoms from headaches to skin issues to digestive issues to obviously a lot more serious stuff as well um, because this is something that people can have an overload of for many reasons right all correct so if someone is over alkaline is it something that they did meaning like obviously taking too many bicarbonates or is it something that can happen based on other things that are going on in the body Right. It was not that they took bicarbonates. It was the fact that they either had surgery or a medical procedure or their life stress um, responses are not properly adapted 
And here I have to introduce two different words, a familiar word called distress. And when most people say stress, they don't mean the neutral or the positive kind. They mean the harmful, erosive kind, the distress. Mm-hmm. But Professor Hans Selye, who I had the privilege of knowing and, and being mentored a bit by, he pointed out that there was a positive side of stress. That's where it gets you up and going and motivated and, and passionate about your subject. But there's a midpoint where you're maximally productive. You want to be there. But most people are overstimulated in their hormonal adrenal glands and exhausted at the same time. Overstimulated and exhausted. Tired and wired. Tired and wired. And the answer is not more caffeine. The answer is not to overstimulate further an exhausted gland, but to use adaptogenic traditional herbal combinations to rehabilitate not just the adrenals, because if the adrenals are involved, so is the thyroid. If the adrenals and thyroid are involved, so is the ovary or testes, so is the pancreas. It's a, it, it is a symphony. It is a whole body process where neurohormonal communication is critical. And yet in many people who don't know why they get up and go, got up and went and they can't find it, would restore it if they followed this approach. So... In those people that then test the urine, and by the way, you mentioned the strips. Is there a specific brand that you like, or can people use any pH strip? Well, you must use the high sensitivity 5.5 to 8 range strips, because that's the biological pH paper. Now, it turns out you can get it from us. You can get it from others. It's all made by one company in Brooklyn, it turns out. And and these are little um, paper strips. You pull out, say, a couple of inches, and if you can, you pee directly on it, and if not, you pee into a clean cup, and then you dip the strip into the fresh urine. You have to do this on fresh urine. And now you have a little log, and you have a pen or a pencil or something, or crayon, and you keep your log. So every day you record the pH, but you also make a little, are you symptomatic or concerned about anything specific? And the remarkable part of keeping the log is that people come back and say, you know what I discovered? And you say, what did you discover? And they say, I discovered that when I'm in that better pH 6.5 to 7.5 range, I'm more productive. I'm more hopeful. I'm more helpful. I'm nicer to the people around me. People think that I'm you know, better uh, you know, in mood. But when I'm below 6.5, I'm progressively more irritable, symptomatic, and troubled. It's one thing for us to talk about it, which is, I think, very important to invite people to actually make their own self-assessment. But here we're talking about something that a person can do in the privacy of their own home for about a buck a day. Yeah, that's pretty good deal. Now, how quickly does it change? So, for example, let's just say someone has a certain dinner that maybe has more alkaline foods like green vegetables and you know other plant-based foods and then they test their pH the next morning and then say the next evening they go out and they have fast food with chemicals and you know a lot of really acidic foods would they see their pH shift that next morning or is it a longer process well you ask good questions it's a complicated answer but it's a really important question it turns out If you're a healthier person, and I define a healthier person as someone who is in homeostatic balance, that means when they get stressed, they have coping mechanisms that bring them back into equilibrium. They get restorative sleep. They get up and move around enough that they stretch their body. 
the people that I've just described, the healthier people, they will notice that if you eat a meal at night that is more alkaline forming, the next morning, your urine is more alkaline. And if you eat a meal at night that's more acid forming, dairy, meat, grains, the, the acid forming hard to digest foods, which have become so ubiquitous that most Americans barely eat more than five to seven foods and they come in many different processed ways, but it looks like food, folks. It's just not really food. And it's there to trick your tongue and your brain and to addict you to what's called the crave factor. That's what it's called in the packaged goods industry, which is based on a certain combination of sugar, fat, and salt. And if you come and visit, which I would welcome you to do, you won't find any of those things in my kitchen or in my home. But you will find a nice garden right now where you could pick the salad and then we'll throw in some edible flowers and some seeds and nuts and maybe a little vinegar and some sea salt and we'll have a salad. That sounds delicious. So, but if someone you were saying that is healthy and they do eat a meal that is more acidic with grains and meats, what would they find the next day in their pH? Right. So if you eat the foods that promote acid formation, and we do have a food effects on body chemistry chart, this is the next generation after what's called acid ash residue for those who are technical, but we have the food effects on body chemistry chart. You want 80% of what you put on your plate to be alkaline forming when you're recovering and 60% when you're well. Now, you can have some of those acid-forming foods. It's just they become condiments, not staples of your diet, whereas the healthier things become the staples of your diet the way Thomas Jefferson, among others, recommends. Right, and that's a chart that I will post in show notes for everyone so that people could see all the foods. Yeah. Oh, please do. Please do. Please do. It's, re it's really clear. The acid-forming foods are on one side. The alkaline-forming foods are on the other side. Choose alkaline for the majority and enjoy a wide variety of foods in a wide variety of ways, but also eat the foods that you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden. Exactly. So, sir, just going back to, you know, you were saying that if you do eat alkaline foods, your pH will be more alkaline. And if someone's healthy and they eat acidic foods, will they see their pH go down? Oh, yes. Or would it be? Oh, yes. Okay. And what about those that are less healthy? Like, would the healthier people go down less, you think? Well, no, no, no. So, so we started with the people who are healthier. They are in a feedback system where they'll see changes more easily and more clearly. Now let's talk about the chronically unwell people, the people who have weight management issues or sleep issues, stress issues or diabetes issues, cardiovascular issues or cancer risks, any of the autoimmune or inflammatory conditions. These are people whose deficit in magnesium can be hundreds, if not thousands, of milliequivalents. And what I mean by that is lots. And so imagine that you're filling up a big hole that was slowly dug over decades. Now you might have to be really consistent about taking in more magnesium, choline, citrate, and alkaline foods for months and months, because it took years to decades to deplete your bones, your periosteum, your large joints and blood vessels, your cells and systems to that point. So if we're healthier, we see the changes more quickly and we can say, oh, I did better last night. Oh, I did worse last night. 
either is okay on a daily basis. It's just you want more better than, 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 than worse. worse. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess this is clear, but I do want to make it clear. If you love something that's acid-forming, an ice cream sundae or a steak, and once in a while you go out and do that and relish it, and you complement it the rest of the time with lots of fruits and veggies, lots of seeds and nuts and sprouts, a wide variety of what I would call low-on-the-food-chain foods. These are easy to digest, easy to assimilate, easy to eliminate. They improve your microbiome and your digestion. That's what you should be doing 80 to 90% of the time. And don't ask me about the 5%. <laughs> yep. We always say, you know, 80-20 rule or 90-10 or 95-5, whatever works for you. Agreed. So for those people that want to get to the right balance. So number one, you're saying we need to test and see where you are. Then the second thing is the foods that we consume. And I'm going to post that chart for everyone to see. And then you talk a lot about magnesium. So let's get into that in some more detail, because I think everyone listening is going to be really interested to know what kind of magnesium, how much magnesium, and how they can balance that. So first, do you recommend that people test their magnesium? Like sometimes I'll do a hair analysis or I'll do a red blood cell analysis with blood. Do you recommend that? Or are there any other tests that you do for magnesium status? Or do you just assume that it is low? No, it turns out that my colleague, Dr. Ronaline, who worked with Mildred Selig and other giants in the magnesium research world, published about 15 years ago that if you're in the lower half of the serum, the easily obtained blood serum magnesium range, if you're in the lower half, you have chronic latent magnesium deficiency. And if you're in the upper half of the serum magnesium range, you have sufficiency. And just to complete that point, if you have kidneys, it's water-soluble, that is magnesium and other minerals are water-soluble. And so as long as you have kidneys, they will regulate the magnesium that's available, but it has to be available to them. It has to get in the body before it's available to them. They will regulate the magnesium as a water-soluble element in urine, sweat, and stool. Now, the reason that we talk about magnesium is because magnesium is nature's counterbalance to calcium. Most everybody's heard about calcium. It's the mineral that says go. It's the mineral that amplifies hormonal signals. It's the second messenger in biology. It's really important. But we need a balance of calcium and magnesium. And almost all Americans have a relative excess of calcium and an absolute deficiency of magnesium. So we're getting more and more evidence about what we call the forgotten electrolyte that we should remember called magnesium. It does many things in the body, but it's the one that's mostly inside the cell, not inside the blood. So calcium is outside the cell mostly, and magnesium is inside the cell mostly. And we need more magnesium, and we need to retain magnesium, and that's where the combination of magnesium-choline citrate comes in. So there are worser and better forms of magnesium. There's mag oxide, mag carbonate, and mag sulfate that have about 3% bioavailability. They're ground up rocks. Don't do that. <laughs> Agreed. Then there are the better magnesiums, magnesium glycinate or bisglycinate, magnesium pitolate or taurate, magnesium threonate or aspartate. All of these saturate at one third of the dose. And what that means is the channel that takes them up, the ion channel, the calcium magnesium ATPase ion channel, saturates at one third of the dose. 
So if you take enough, enough magnesium to overcome the metabolic acids that you have, you will build up enough magnesium in your intestines to run to the commode and generally run away from the person who recommended it. <laughs> so we enhance the uptake of magnesium with choline citrate. A dose is 220 milligrams of elemental magnesium and a teaspoon of choline citrate. And now not only do you enhance the uptake of the magnesium, but you correct the choline deficiency, the acetylcholine neurotransmitter deficiency, the cholinergic bile salt deficiency, um, and the citrate is an energizing, alkalinizing keto acid. That is, it fits into the Krebs cycle and it produces energy and it alkalinizes you. Right. So what you're saying is you, you recommend that people take the more beneficial types of magnesium, like a glycinate form. And then with that, you also take the choline citrate, about 225 milligrams. No, no, to... it's 13. It's a teaspoon of choline citrate. Sorry, it's 220 milligrams of elemental magnesium. And let's say you do that as the glycinate or the aspartate or the ascorbate mm -hmm. with a teaspoon of choline citrate. Now, a teaspoon of choline citrate has 1300 milligrams of choline as citrate. And when Consumer Labs did a global review of all over-the-counter choline sources, they found us to be the purest, the most bioavailable, the most active, the safer, and the more effective. We're just quoting them. Got it. And the choline you find needs to be in the citrate form versus like- Must be. Okay. Must be. Must be. There's choline by tartrate that doesn't work, and it has coronantogen and other problems. Mm -hmm. Then there's citicoline, which is a phosphatide-based choline- which does get more uptake, but has very little choline in it. Um, so it must be choline citrate. And what about something like a phosphatidylcholine? Well, we do work with phosphatides. Uh, for example, if you have lecithin from a non-soy source, because you wouldn't want to get your lecithin from a soy source, but if you have lecithin, say, from a sunflower, mm -hmm. yeah, sunflower or safflower sourced lecithin, now you can specify the high PC the high phosphatidylcholine. And you can get up to 30, maybe 35% PC, phosphatidylcholine. But now you're, you end up taking so much of that lecithin that in the industry, it's called salad dressing. <laughs> so good question. Again, very good question. And it is an option, but you need to take a bunch of it. And you have to be careful because if you take enough of the lecithin, you end up smelling somewhat like a fish. Oh, that's not good. No. Now, maybe <laughs> maybe at social distancing, that's okay. But, but for hugs, that's not so good. Right. Well, phosphatidylcholine is also extremely expensive, typically. So I, do, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Yeah. I, I, I think it is, it is a, a positive source. It is a source yeah. that we would encourage. But right, which is what it makes sense expensive. in this. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. If the citrate does exactly what we need, that makes sense. Right. So right. about 225 milligrams of a good quality magnesium with a teaspoon of the choline citrate, which is about 1300 milligrams. Right. And then do you recommend doing that at a specific time of day? You know, would it work better if someone does it, let's say, at bedtime so that while they're sleeping, it's doing its job? Or is it better at other times during the day? So there are people who are purists. And they want you to take your magnesium at one time of the day, your calcium at a different time of the day, your potassium at a different time of day, your zinc at another time of day. And frankly, I think it's so stressful to manage that coordination that I don't do that. I want to have a healthy digestion, and I want my digestive tract to select the minerals I need 
because I've enhanced their uptake using, say, the choline citrate. Now, I start in the morning, I check my urine pH, it's usually fine, but I have a dose of that magnesium choline citrate early in the morning with my early supplement. And then, depending on the day, it might be three to five doses of magnesium and choline citrate. And I understand the next question is, can't I double that up? Can't I take 440 milligrams of magnesium and two teaspoons of choline citrate? Yes, some people can, but there's, there's, it's called the threshold maximum. There, there's, there's, a reason, there's a reason to keep physiology before pharmacology, and that's why we recommend what we recommend, which is two to five doses a day of the two capsules of magnesium plus a teaspoon of choline citrate. Yeah. I mean, you definitely absorb things better if it's throughout the day. And then how would someone balance this with calcium? And I know I'm in complete agreement with you that most people do have a lot more calcium than magnesium. So they do need the extra, but is it possible to go over and go the other way? And should they have some calcium along with it if they're doing this several times a day? Well, if you say to me that you would like to take in some healthy, freshly prepared, macerated juices, So this is a low-speed juicer that extracts a lot of juice and actually extrudes the fiber as a separate stream, and you can make the fiber into a dessert if you you want to, so you don't lose the fiber, the prebiotic fiber. Um, But fresh juice of a variety of vegetables, parsley, cucumber, beet greens, uh, arugula, whatever you happen to have in the fresh greens department, not all carrots. Carrots are sweet, but they have too much sugar. And it's fine to have some apples and some carrots, but not all apples and carrots. But if you make fresh juice, you'll get a wide variety of minerals based on the quality of the soil that those foods uh, were grown in. And around here, we have a permaculture biodynamic food forest in our front yard. We participate in a community-supported agriculture CSA that happens to be biodynamic. And yes, we go to the Whole Foods market and see if there's anything organic that's alive, and, and, and we buy that. I, I think it is a makeover for most people. The people who say, I'm too busy to cook, are actually inviting dis-ease and disability by picking up on the fly their nutrition, their nourishment. Your, what you eat and what you drink are the fuel for your body. What you think and what you do are the metafuels for your body. I've decided that I want to live long and well. And so I went globally, cross-culturally, cross-scientific disciplines to meet the people who are the healthiest and the elders. And every one of them was incredibly gracious. Every one of them just wanted to know if I was serious and would I show up. And if I would just show up as their acolyte and sit at their feet, they would share wisdom and traditions. And there's many commonalities between every wisdom tradition around the world, and it's all the alkaline way. What are your thoughts on alkaline water? Because that's something that's definitely been a big thing um, over the last, you know, I'd say 10, 20, probably even 30 years. And, you know, there's some people who swear by it and say how it's the best thing ever. But we talked about over-alkalizing and balancing. Do you think that's something that could be helpful or is it something that can harm people? Well, there are people who sing the praises of these machines that produce alkaline water, and then there are people who curse at those machines. 
Um, we should actually go back a few hundred years because a few hundred years, there were places that people went where the artesian wells had naturally carbonated water coming out of the ground. San Pellegrino in Italy, Gerolsteiner in, in Germany, Apollinaris. There are a number of what are called the traditional alkaline high mineral waters. This means they have minerals dissolved in them. They're technically hard because if you evaporate them, you have some mineral residue. You want to drink hard water. You might want soft water for your washing machine, but you want to drink hard water that's mineral rich. Then there are machines that cost thousands of dollars, but there are machines where this allows you to electrolytically, chemically, electrolytically dial in the pH you want. Now, what they don't want to talk about is whether those hydroxyl ions, which is what the electrolytic process produces, have any benefit or any risk, because they have lots of risks and no benefits. If a hydroxyl radical got to your cells, it would kill your cells, and your cells have many defensive uh, superoxide dismutases and various other transducing molecules to prevent a hydroxyl ion from ever getting to your cells. So you have to be naive in order to believe that these machines that produce alkaline water aren't trying to fool your body. And my takeaway message is, if you try to fool the human body, you fool yourself. So you're not a fan? No, I'm a fan of nature, nurture, and wholeness. I'm a fan of physiology. Right. If you want to know what alkalinizes human beings, it's minerals like magnesium and potassium. It's alkaline amino acids like lysine and glutamine and arginine. It's short and medium chain fatty acids like ghee and uh, raw coconut oil known as MCT. That's it. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you're saying that because I have clients who, you know, spend thousands of dollars on those machines. And you know, I always say, I don't think this is really the best way, but, you know, there's some people who swear by them, but it's like you said, you're trying to trick your body into something rather than just doing it. And I think it could be a little bit dangerous where, you know, if someone sets their own pH, what if they do it? It's too high. You know, it's too much. And then people drink a ton of this water with their meals. So then they're diluting their digestive juices. So I'm with you. It, it, it does take a little bit of time to listen to folks like us who can explain physiology and biochemistry and cellular molecular biology. You don't have to be, get a PhD in that stuff, but some of us have them and we can explain this to you if you're willing to give us three to five minutes. On the other hand, there are the people who just have a selling proposition. Mm -hmm. You are acid, need alkaline. It's like a robot. You are acid, need alkaline. <laughs> Dial pH 10. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So many people think, you know, they hear something and like they know everything. And, you know, you've really done so much research and spoken to so many people and have just learned so much about this. So it's so wonderful to hear all of this and all of the research that you've done and just what people can do to help themselves. That's wonderful. And the last 30 years, I've been applying that method, that approach to document that nature, nurture, and wholeness has great value to save lives, reduce suffering, and actually save a million Americans a year. And that translates into trillions of dollars of savings if we would get away from what I would call the symptom reactive sick care system and embrace a proactive primary personalized prevention 
practice and protocol system. So it is possible, but it's an intellectual as well as philosophical shift. And I was only trained as an internal medicine physician to have a prescription pad in one hand and a procedure in the other hand. And that's how we would patch people up and, 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 and save them. It turns out that if you wait for dis-ease, you're waiting too long. Yeah, for sure. And that there is a positive side. It's called the wellness side of the health equation. So you could have no pathology, but not feel very well. And that's so many people. Right. And that turns out to be a lot. And, and, and we want to broaden out the other side, the wellness side of the scale. Are you at the, are you at the greatest vitality, resilience? Uh, do you have such restorative sleep that you have gratitude just for getting up in the morning? Um, do you have mood stability so that you can see others as loving and not as coming at you with sharp sticks? There's lots of implications. For mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's so important. I love that you're mentioning this because it is the biochemistry and what we eat and the supplements that we take, but it is also this mindset and how we view the world. And I think from a pH perspective, we know that our thoughts can shift that as well, you know, just like they can shift our secretory IgA and other parts of the immune system. So I think it's so important to look at both. I love that you're mentioning that. Yes, and I, I come from a family where there were two qualities. Number one, people screamed, and number two, people worried. <laughs> and honestly, if you weren't shouting, no one paid any attention to you. So <laughs> that's what uh, that's what I learned. Oh, I can relate a little bit. Right, and eventually I met someone a gal from the Midwest who said, I like you. And I said, well, that's good because I like you. And she said, do you know you shout? And I said, oh, no, I don't. And she said, really? aha, I'm going to heal you. And she did because she would whisper. And if one person is shouting and the other person is whispering, one of them has to change. And usually it's the one who's shouting has to stop shouting because the other one is just whispering. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, so yes, if you grew up in a certain acculturation, in a certain lifestyle, mm -hmm. if you change your habits, which you can, you will change your future. But if you just persist with the habits you learned in childhood or in your family or in your environment, chances are you'll be chronically suffering, unwell, and spending a lot of money and time patching yourself up. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Jaffe, I just think it's it's so amazing, first of all, all of the things that you've accomplished, all of the things that you've researched, the people that you've met, and how much knowledge you brought back from all of this research and studies. Um, thank you so much for all the work that you do. No, you're welcome. And yes, you have to start with curiosity and ignorance. If you if you if you know the answer before someone has a question, don't go. <laughs> so it's my privilege to pay it forward through folks like you, for those who want to survive and live well and happy in the 21st century. Now, Dr. Jaffe, for those who want to connect with you or contact you, where can they find you and how can they reach you? Oh, drrusselljaffe.com. That's one of the portals, drrusselljaffe.com. Um, for those who are interested in self-tests and predictive biomarkers, it's betterlabtestnow.com. That's a portal that we support. And there are many ways of getting to me, but the easiest is drrusselljaffe.com. And we do have a viral risk reduction ebook free for download on that website. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. I'll post everything in the show notes. Dr. Jaffe, thank you so much for being here and for all of this information. This is something that has been so helpful and enlightening for me. And I know for so many other people that are listening as well. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for your interest and and thanks for your question. Acid alkaline balance is essential for our health. But as you just heard from what Dr. Jaffe was saying, it is much more than just drinking baking soda or alkaline water which so many people mistakenly do. For Elodie, I first took her off the baking soda and alkaline water and worked on what she was eating because that is the foundation. We started to lower the heavy meats and starches. We added in a lot more green veggies, though we were avoiding spinach because it's very high oxalate and I don't recommend anyone eat a ton of that. We also added in more fish, more nuts, more seeds to make her diet overall healthier and naturally more alkaline. Before that, her diet was so processed, we had to go slow so that it really became a lifestyle for her more than just a fat diet. I then tested her magnesium through her hair analysis and saw that it was way off and her morning urine was also way too acidic. I didn't want to do too much too fast as she was sensitive. So after four weeks of diet changes, after which she started to feel a little better already, we then added 450 milligrams of buffered magnesium which is a glycinate form of magnesium. We did that in divided doses throughout the day. And she took that with the choline citrate, just like Dr. Jaffe spoke about, to help her body utilize the magnesium and naturally shift the pH. It took another four weeks for her to see a difference in her urine strips, but then they finally shifted from a more yellowish to a greenish color, which signified that she was getting more alkaline and that's where we want to be. At that point, she really started to notice a difference. Her energy was better, her stomach stopped hurting, and her skin had this newfound glow. Then we needed to work a little bit more on her gut because while her stomach aches were better, she still had gas, bloating, and irregular bowel movements. And I knew that there were still underlying digestive issues because of those symptoms and her health history as well. We did a stool test and saw she had some bacterial overgrowth and also low stomach acid. And this was not surprising to me at all. So we used some of my go-tos, GMI-Crobex, Microgon, and Tricycline to kill off the bugs. And then we used some betaine HCL to help balance her stomach acid. I know at first it may sound strange that we're doing things to increase stomach acid while trying to alkalize the body. But what's important to remember here is that different parts of our body have different pHs. So while our blood has to be slightly alkaline, our stomach needs to be acidic. That acid is what digests our food. And if we don't have enough, the food just sits there and ferments and that creates gas and bloating. It can even lead to overgrowth of bad bugs because the acid actually helps to work as a natural antiseptic. So when your acid is low, you're more prone to getting bacteria from the foods that you eat. That's the reason why I also don't recommend a lot of alkaline water, especially drinking alkaline water with meals or really drinking any water in large amounts when you eat because it dilutes that stomach acid. And for so many people, their stomach acid is just too low and it creates a lot of issues. After the stomach cleanse and support, her digestion improved even more. She no longer felt gassy and bloated and her bowel movements were much more regular. She and I were both thrilled. If Elodie sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show because the next health mystery I talk about could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. And if you like the show, I would so appreciate it if you can post a review on iTunes. 
Those really help spread the word so more people can learn about the possible answers and know that they're not alone in their health struggles. When it comes to solving your health issues, please don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you here next week on Health Mysteries Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.